Podcraft. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one partners, family, friends, co workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Porn and Sexual Health. And in this episode, I talk to a colleague of mine, Joe Court, who is a leading expert on sex and relationships. And before I tell you more about Joe, I took my mobile podcast equipment to Detroit, where I was hanging out with some childhood friends, and I got a chance to talk with Joe in person because Joe and I actually went to middle school together. And we haven't talked in over 40 years. So when I contacted him, I knew of Joe and his expertise and asked him to do this podcast. He was very willing to participate. So let me tell you a little bit more about Joe. Like I said, he is a leading expert on sex and relationships. He specializes in out of control sexual behaviors, relationship problems, and marital conflict, as well as sex therapy and sexual identity concerns. He also specializes in depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. His practice is located in Royal Oak, Michigan. In this episode, we explore the topic of porn in relationships. And Joe discusses that in his experience, when couples come to him to talk about porn, it is not necessarily that porn is often the problem, but rather each partner's relationship to porn. We also talk about the topic of erotic identity. And Joe discusses how gay men and gay couples are generally more open to talk about sexual issues and how he encourages all couples to talk openly about the differences between their erotic judgments without judging the others as good or bad. We also talk about various topics of sexual health in couples and how connection and communication is key for couples to navigate and negotiate this area of their relationship. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It could be a little bit provocative for some people, but it's a very interesting topic to explore. We're just reminiscing about going to middle school together. And that's been that's been fun to just go back and think about that. And here we are in this in this environment to be able to do this. So we go back what third how many years is that? Forty forty years. I know. It feels like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it? It does. I know. It does. Thanks for let let me do this mm-hmm. with you. You've got so many expertise when it comes to relationships, especially around uh, couples and gay therapy, gay affirmative therapy, as well as sex addiction and porn. So today we're going to talk about porn. Mm-hmm. That's great. So we're going to be talking about porn, people. People that's got their shackles up around that and all that stuff. You know, I teach a course in a massage school called Sexuality Issues in Massage, the unspoken energy. And every time I asked the, the students, I said, hey, put out 
whatever word for genitalia that you know. And we'll list it all on the board, you know, 30, 40 words. And I look at it and 98% of it is derogatory. And to me, that means, wow, we just shame our sexuality. Wow. So I'm just curious of when people talk about porn, usually it has a negative connotation with relationships. But that's not always so. Is that true? Uh, no, it, it's often so, at least in my clinical practice, right? So then people come in, it's very, very negative. But outside of the practice, you know, because people are coming in because it's a problem. But outside of it, it doesn't seem to have as much negativity. In sex therapy culture, we're talking about changing it in sex education to sexual imagery, sexually explicit material. I don't know that that'll catch on, but sort of taking the how loaded it is for people, the reactivity, like you said. Mm-hmm. And then it's so pejorative. Why do you think it's so loaded? Because of the secrecy of it? When, when it's with a couple? I think it's definitely the secrecy. And I have my own opinion. I feel like porn is primarily for males and male entertainment. It doesn't mean that women don't watch porn. They are, and they're increasingly watching it. But I think when it's about male sexuality, I always say this. We only talk about male sexuality when men are in trouble. So if they get caught with porn or they have committed a crime or a sex offense... People are happy to do that. But when it's about men's sexual pleasure and what they're viewing, people get turned off and have a disgust response. Wow, that's really interesting. So how do we then affirm sexuality in men's culture? It's so hard because, you know, when you see a couple and they're in the office, the woman, when she finds the porn, this is what I hear in my office almost every day, finding his porn is like finding him in bed with another woman literally for her. And while I don't understand that, I do now because I've worked with so many women, she's in so much pain from it because she's comparing herself to all these images. And that's really what's happening is she's having her own reaction from what she's making up about the whole thing. And nobody's listening to the guy, to what it brings up for him, what he gets off on, what it means to him. And sometimes the guy doesn't even know. So then they're both focused on her and her pain and they never get to the sexual pleasure of the guy which we need to have discussions about. So do you first work through the pain, the sexual pain of the, of the woman, the, for, the relationship pain of the woman, for sure. before we get to, to the man's sexual pleasure? I've tried it the other way, and she feels even more victimized. And then I've, I've grown to understand she needs to have empathy. She thought she was in a porn-free house. She didn't understand. Why isn't she enough? You know, uh, she gets all kinds of um, her own reactions, and, we, and I get him to do most of the empathizing, and I do too for her because she's in such a bad place. Mm-hmm. And it's probably case by case with all people's past issues coming in, whether it's abuse issues that, that come in, views on sex trade and everything that's against porn. So people are bringing in all kinds of their histories yes. to, to view whether it's good or bad. Yeah. Yep. And that's hard to work with. I always tell therapists, it's not hard as a therapist because a therapist should not jump in to make porn good or bad or right or wrong or ethical or non-ethical or feminist or not. Once you do that, in my opinion, you've lost the couple. You're no longer their therapist. They have to figure that out by having their own discussion. And um, it's hard because a lot of women feel very strongly that there's no such thing as ethical porn and that all women are victims of porn. And that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And how is it with gay couples? Is there a difference around porn with gay couples? Huge. Yeah. Well, let me just start. Because like the governor of Utah, Florida, Kansas, and even John Gottman, you know, John yeah, Gottman right. is a big time marital therapist. I love his work. I think he should have stayed out of this conversation because he threw his hat in and said, yep, we're in a porn health crisis. It's ruining relationships. 
And I'm raising my hand saying it isn't ruining gay relationships and it isn't ruining lesbian relationships because we talk about it even before the first date. Mm. When I met Mike, it was before the internet, my husband, I knew where his porn was and I knew I looked nothing like the guys that he looked at in porn, nothing. He knew where my porn was. I look, he looks nothing like the guys I get off on in porn. We fell in love with one another and understood that those are our private sex lives and we had our, our couple's sex life. It wasn't personal because we're transparent, unlike straight couples. That's a big deal to, to really delineate because a lot of gay couples are way more gregarious in how they talk about their relationships, even their emotions, let alone their sexuality. I'm wondering also, is it when gay people come out, is it an aspect of catching up? A little bit catching up to their sexuality. So once once they're out now, there's freedom around their sexuality. Do they tend to binge on porn more in the beginning? Yes, there's like a three-year period, not even just porn, but just hypersexuality, like you'd see a teenager coming into their own, right? Puberty. Mm-hmm. So we have our own, even at 70, I've seen men and women binging on all kinds of sexual behaviors because it is exactly like you said. Mm-hmm. What do you say to couples that have had infidelity in their relationship and now porn is either a mainstay or it's introduced again because i know i have a lot of couples that that's an area where after there's infidelity the woman wants to know everything about what's going on in the man's sex life and uh, sexual fantasy porn is kind of off the table what's your view of that with infidelity you know that's the case too the other way around men get want to know every single detail too and want to off all the facebook and you know but I mean, I, so do you know Esther Perel? Yes. Esther, Esther Perel is her name. She's so awesome. I, you know, she's, and she'll say uh, in her work to the woman, you're an investigator. It's okay to want to find out what he was so attracted to in the infidelity, but the questions that you're asking are so personal that I'm not going to say it as well as she says it, but I basically help her get away from You don't from sound it. as good as she says I know, it. She, I know. She's, she's got that beautiful Belgium accent. She does. She does. And she says it so smart and eloquently. No. But go ahead. We, we, we'll take that. Come on. So she, um, yeah, I mean, she just makes it real. Like she says, you know, how is all this going to be helpful to you? You're going to get all this information and some of it is unnecessary and it's going to be in your head. Right. You're not going to be able to get rid of it. Because isn't that old adage that therapists are kind of taught in one school to ask any questions that you want and every question of where you did it, what position, and it's painful. Yes, People go through this painful, and I think Esther Perel, she's not a real proponent of that, is she? No, uh-huh. no. She says it's like a thousand cuts, right. you know? And we do have a truth fetish in this business, right? And, and therapists say, if I know about infidelity, you must tell your partner, and right. every detail must be told, but... I learned this from Esther too. I may may quote her a lot in here. She says, you know, really, are you like that with everything else in the therapy room? So if he's leaving and he says, you know, the partner says, you know, his belly got really big and he kind of smells. That's why I don't have sex with him. We wouldn't say to her, oh my God, you're going to have to tell him that in the next session. I won't tolerate. We wouldn't, you know, therapists have their bias. Right. Yeah. And a lot of therapists won't hold those secrets at all. I hold those secrets and breakouts. It's not for me to tell. Right. It's for that other person to choose to tell. I love that about you. And I don't even call them secrets. It's privacy. That's right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We're on the same page. Yeah. So I'm curious about how people correlate sex addiction and porn. Because isn't it something people out there think that sex addiction is rampant, but isn't only around 5% people are 
have a sex addiction? Isn't it so the, it's hard to measure because it isn't real. Okay. It's a cultural fiction and myth. And so uh, it's a low-hanging fruit that when you're in trouble, you can grab onto to keep your marriage, keep your faith, keep your job, whatever. But there's really no science. It's all elementary. Anything you've ever read on the internet has no legitimate science proving that sex can be any sort of addiction. So we don't have the numbers. Mm-hmm. If they say they have the numbers, I don't know where they're getting them because people are self-diagnosing and therapists are prematurely evaluating. Usually the partner is diagnosing. (laughs) (laughs) Is that right? Oh my God. So Doug Brown Harvey is somebody you might want to do a podcast with. He's a sex therapist. Uh And he says that, um, I learned this from him, he said, guy comes in and says, I think I'm a sex addict and my wife confirms that. She's be- right. <laughs> and the therapist gets busy. But if you go to a cancer doctor and says, I think I have kidney cancer and my wife has also diagnosed me, the doctor doesn't say, well, thank God we don't have to do all those tests. We're just going to take your kidney out and do chemo. And it's like, he says, slow down. There's differential diagnosis. Let the therapist and you work through what this is, not the spouse. Mm-hmm. It's true though. So around that, people would think that when does it get where it's detrimental? Is it any kind of addiction, a porn addiction, would that be when people stop to do their daily activities, when they're not working, when they're spending a lot of money? When does it get out of hand? Well, so I would even take away the whole idea of porn addiction. There's no science behind that either. Uh, it's a porn habit, or they're watching porn, not using porn. I'm constantly... I like that. Isn't that better? Yeah. You're not using it. It's not a drug, you know? Right. You're watching a movie, and there's a great porn star. His name is Miles Stryker, and he says, we're not making love. We're making movies, you know, to remind us. Right. So I think it's dependent on the individual circumstance. Is it causing more problems in your life? But what are those problems? If you have a spouse that's not okay with it, and that's a problem, that's not the porn, right? right? If it's your faith problem, that's not the porn. If it's your own values, so porn's a great scapegoat. And instead, we take it away from the porn and come back to the person and say, why is this capturing your attention? Maybe they have a kink. Maybe they have a fetish. They're just starting to erotically explore themselves. Or they have a certain thing they would never do with a partner, but they would, imagining it is enough. There's new research now showing that this is how many men stay monogamous, by imagining it and not having to leave the relationship. But sadly for the woman, it's like he's left the relationship. Right. So what happens when men leave the relationship where they don't initiate sex anymore, they're spending more time on the internet? How do you work with that? So then I start to look at intimacy disorder. What's happening? Is it Does he have material coming up that's keeping him away from his partner? Has he lost sexual interest in her? Has her body changed in his mind so that has she become a new mother? So now he's having sex with the mother of his child. There's so many reasons about why that would be. Is there contempt and is there all this conflict that's going on that they don't even want to be around each other? Right. Yeah. You've seen this too. Yeah. What do you think? What do you do when you see a guy doing this? Yeah. When I see a guy doing that, I really want to create the connection before the communication, you know, because to me, so many couples come in and they say, we want to communicate before we can connect. I see it as the other way around. If I'm not connected, my communication goes awry. Mm-hmm. So I try to establish what is connection to you. You know, usually it's a positive interaction, positive thoughts, appreciation, and so forth. And to reestablish that along with being able to really be able to speak their truth and find their truth as they're speaking. So are couples giving each other the space to be interested, curious, and of course validate and acknowledge the experience instead of it just going back and forth with defensiveness and so forth. So. To me, it's just trying to establish that that connection first. I love it. Yeah. 
and many people don't even have that even in the beginning. They've never learned, right? We never took communication relationship 101 in high school and no. so forth. So people don't learn that. No, and they should. Exactly. It's a big deal to me, right? Dale Domke, our communication teacher, I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. He didn't teach us about that. <laughs> <laughs> he just taught us how to do a speech. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So we don't learn how to, to speak the uncomfortable vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And isn't that a lot too of why are gay couples so much more free to talk about sexuality than heterosexual couples, do you think? I think because we're forced into exploring it early on, all on our own, and we have no way. So children get permission in growing up to know only four things. They're heterosexual, they're cisgender, meaning they're not transgender, right? They're cisgender, they're uh, monogonormative, they can only be monogamy, and they can only be vanilla. So if you're kinky and not vanilla, if you're not monogamous, if you're not cisgender and you're not heterosexual, you're fucked. Can I swear on this? You can say, <laughs> it. You can say it again, baby. Right, you're fucked. <laughs> exactly. Because where do you go? So then you have to go to other communities, go to the internet, and then you, you're forced into having to talk about it in a way that straight people never have to do. Whoa. That's one theory. Mm-hmm. And then as men, men talk openly about sex to begin with, so then you're with other men, and then we're just, we talk about it, and it's very easy to talk about. And so men that have a hard time talking about with women, do you think it's because of the fear of shame coming down from Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. The fear of shame and the, the difference. When men are being sexual and thinking about sex, they're often looking at body parts, they're at fixed sexual interests, they're objectifying. These are very uh, threatening to women to hear about all that because they want it to be more relational and eye-gazing, and both are good. Both can happen. One shouldn't trump the other kind of thing, but it does, and so then men feel shut down. And they do this all the time. The, the woman, if she finds this porn, she'll cr- be crying and very upset, understandably. It's a big shock to her. Then he'll say, I'm so sorry. I'll get rid of it. I, w- I will never watch it again. I've wiped my heart. Right? Yep. You've seen this, I'm oh. sure. And then what does he do six months later? Starts watching porn. She finds it. Now it's not about the porn. You lied to me. Right. But it was set up to be a lie to begin with, and he agreed to the lie. Right. You know, it's a mess. Yeah. I'm curious, what do you say to couples when a woman sees a man looking at other women and she gets really upset about looking at other women. I, I had a, uh, a supervisor that I asked years ago about that. And she said, people, you tell that man, you tell that woman, men are supposed to look at other women. That's what men do. He can take that energy not too long and now redirect it back into, into his relationship. Let him feel like a man, all the arousal, and let him redirect it back to the relationship. I love that. Mm -hmm. But I would say that's true for women too. I guess I'd look at the woman and say, why aren't you looking to? Mm. And most women will say, I don't need to. And I'll say, okay, are you sure? Have you really examined your erotic and sexual needs? You're not really looking at or even fantasizing romantically? You know, because they're calling, we call what men watch porn and we call what women read Literature. Did you ever hear that? <laughs> no, it's it's literature. I know, and the New York Times bestselling books are now called literature. Yo, is that all-time movie? What was that? That movie that was out around Fifty Shades of Grey, or uh-huh. eight hundred million dollar. Yes, and, uh, and women were masturbating and getting off to it, and that's what they're they're calling that literature. Mm-hmm. And we don't say, oh, women are using literature and they're going to sneak away and be with another man by what? It's a gateway drug. Mm-hmm. But we say it about porn. We have a double standard. Why do you think we have those there? I walk into a health food rest, uh, health food store, and I see women's pleasure. Uh, they don't even call it vibrators. You know the, the the pleasure operator, and they have vibrators in the health food <laughs> store it. for women. Good, right? It's yeah. wonderful, but you no don't point. see it. In, yeah, not for men. 
Why, why is it okay for women, but not for men? I know. Yeah, because women, I don't know. That's because I always say because women are more relational, but with a vibrator, that's not very. But I'll tell you that, you know how women come in and struggle with porn? I've had the same argument about vibrators. I have had men literally in this office getting angry, (laughs) say to her, my dick is available 24 seven. You never need this thing. I could have food poisoning coming out of both ends of my body. My dick is available. I swear to God, I've had some guys so angry. And sometimes one of the guys said, I know you. She's like, I'm not using it. I'm not. And she said, I know you are because it was facing South and it was five (laughs) inches from the wall this morning. And now it's facing North and it's seven. (laughs) I know it's funny, but it's like, I'm watching this argument. So she feels replaced. Her whole self feels replaced by porn. He feels his dick is replaced by the vibrator. Wow. Right? Do you see this too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting of that aspect of constantly comparing instead of the aspect of accepting that there's going to be so many differences and that we make continuous choices to be with each other in the way that we be with each other, the way that we move toward each other in connection. But a lot of the rest of the stuff is kind of our own business of how we do that all in our minds. Totally. Yeah. And people don't get that. I think with couples is, I want you to share everything with me. I want you to just share everything. People don't even know what's going on in their own head at times to really be able to interpret to somebody else. Absolutely. Until yeah. they do. And then, then they blame them. Well, how could you not know? Well, most people... So I would say you have a sexual orientation. That's to whom you're attracted. Male, female, both, um, multiple genders, no genders. That's your sexual orientation. But then you have erotic orientation. The things that get you off, the things that make you orgasm, positions, fantasies, kink, fetish, vanilla. And most people have not... They may have done sexual orientation work, but they've not done erotic orientation work. They don't know. What do you do when one of them is really turned off of that, the other person's preference on erotic orientation? That's a great question. So there's a disgust response, right? That's hard, so hard, right? right? Because now they just want to get away from that. And and not only that, you can't do it either. Right. I'm disgusted. I had a couple, and they were millennials. I was shocked because millennials are very erotically curious. And he was into kink, and she was open to it, but they weren't there yet because they weren't connected, like you said earlier. So I said to her, well, as him, I said, so do you watch porn? Do you masturbate thinking about kink? And she said, "Uh, I don't allow that. And I looked over at her and I said, why not? She said, because I don't like what it does to my brain. So I turned to her very nicely and I said, so that's what it does to your brain. And that makes sense for you. But why are you saying that he can't watch it? Maybe it doesn't do that to his brain. So it's a lack of differentiation. Mm -hmm. And there's a great new book coming out called Erotic Empathy by Amanda uh, Luderman. And um, it's all about having empathy in the erotic realm for your partner and for yourself. Isn't that awesome? Because that's the other hand that that a lot of people don't understand is the self-compassion that we have for ourselves, the differentiation that we have to have for ourselves to be able to be witness of our partner's confusion, preferences, decision-making. And a lot of people don't don't know how to do that in no. relationship. No, and the way Amanda comes into it is says she says even if you don't like your body, but your husband finds you super sexy, is there a way you can have empathy for him to override your discomfort with your body and let him enjoy you? In addition to, can you let him enjoy what he's what he's into that doesn't include you? These are hard discussions. What do you think it's going to take for people to be really more open to be able to have these discussions? I think communication, but I think understanding male sexuality is crucial. We already understand women's sexuality. We need to do more of it. I'm not saying we're done. I know women listen to me, and I I fear that they think 
that I'm dismissing it, I'm not. But I think we need to be willing to listen to why do men get off on what they get off on. It tends to be more aggressive. It tends to be less relational. And so women, that's scary for a lot of people to dive into that possibility is. of where that's going to go. Yes, because they think it's going to become aggressive and in their own bedroom. Right. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's right on. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of women want that connection before that they have sex. And a lot of men, of course, want to have that physical connection before they feel open to have more connection. Yep. And I hear it over and over again about a man's level of, uh, maybe it is sexual arousal, aggressiveness, and the speed of the arousal that he gets has always got to be timed more with the woman. So women are constantly pushing a man back yes. in his own timing, let's say, yes. in that way. So couples really haven't learned of that circular aspect of and taking turns and really being curious. I don't have a lot of couples that ask each other a lot of sexual questions. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I ask my couples, I'll say, what are your sexual rules in your relationship? Even if you haven't said them out loud, what are they? Because every couple has them. They may not be verbal. Marty Klein is another sex therapist, and he has a great quote. Couples fight over contracts they've never made. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Have you ever done that? I have. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So then you have this implicit contract, and it's not right. been made explicit. Right. And I've heard the definition of a expectation is a yet-to-be-realized resentment. Wait, say it again. An expectation is a yet-to-be-realized resentment. Oh, 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 yeah, So right. so many people have all these expectations of what their connection in sex life is going to be, and they don't put it out there. They right. just expect it, and then there's underlying resentment that yes. comes up. And then they don't have sexual health conversations. That's what we call them, right? So have these conversations, even if they're difficult, and even if you're having a disgust response, push through it, because it's an important thing for you to be able to say, here's what here's what gets me off, here's what gets you off. Can we have autoerotic lives? That's what watching porn and, and, and reading literature is all about. Autoerotic, private cell, sex with oneself. So I saw a video that you, you did, a little YouTube video about parents talking to their kids about sex. Yeah. Where does this start, the aspect of education around, around sexual arousal? Where do we need to start those discussions? Yeah, I'm glad you saw that. I just started doing those because we're doing it on May 17th here at my clinic. We're going to do a, a night talk of parents talking to the kids because it's so uncomfortable yeah. because parents have their own erotic discomfort, erotophobia. Have you ever heard that word? Mm-hmm. I love that word. Yeah. And here's, you know, the truth is, if you don't talk to your kid about sex, somebody else will. And parents just understandably avoid it. And and then they want to ban the porn or they want to limit the porn or restrict the porn. And I get all that. If that's your family values, you need to do what you need to do in your family. And I always say your kids are still going to watch porn, whether you like it or not. And if you don't talk to them, we call it porn literacy. They're going to get crazy ideas of what sex is. It's not going to include intimacy. It's going to include things you would not necessarily uh, approve of. And not that you should or shouldn't because they're going to have their own erotic life. But they deserve a conversation. Otherwise, you're just neglecting them. Exactly. Right? I think I was around 12 years old. My mom caught me through the magazine in the bed when she opened up the door. She gently came next to me and she said, I know why you're doing this. It's because of the divorce, isn't it? (laughs) And I remember just looking at it going... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, mom, exactly. It's the divorce, exactly. <laughs> hey, mom, do you mem- remember that story? I don't know if you're going to like that I put that on air, but you were calm. You were really calm. Have you but never had that conversation with I her? I don't think I did. No. <laughs> you will not. <know. laughs> exactly. 
So, I mean, that's also it. Like parents all, all think that that's deviant and that there's some emotional problem instead of like, no, mom, I'm looking at the magazine. She looked great, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's uncomfortable to have your kid's sex life come out when you're not ready and even when you are ready and then to have to face it and deal with it. And So you're going to be the Leo Biscaglia of... <laughs> Of uh, teaching sex arousal information? I, I mean, don't know. I yeah. don't know if I'll be accepted as that. I don't know. It was just like an, an idea that we came yeah. up with saying, you know, why don't we do a night? I'm always talking about adults. Did you talk to your son about porn? Not a whole lot. We, we did some, but um, he was, yeah, he got educated earlier than I thought. So he, he was kind of like, Dad, I'm kind of good. I know this. I know that. You know, it's like, you know. So that was kind of interesting. So, okay. Yeah. No, we didn't lay it out. I wanted to lay it out, but it seemed like he got educated, yeah, before. And that was kind of, it was kind of sad that I didn't feel that I had that experience. It was comfortable for me. I never had that, but I was a therapist. I wanted to take it to another level. Yeah. And yeah, we still never, we had it later on in, in different ways. Well, the sex education we did have in Clinton Middle School, I remember I forget his name, Northcott. Yeah, uh, Northcott. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, he, he had that brush. Half, brush, it, yeah. and he had red face when he was talking about it. <laughs> but it was all about function, not about pleasure. Right. And I remember not knowing that at the time, but thinking, and it was all heterosexual. So for me, it wasn't helpful at all because it didn't say anything about how you have sex with another guy. Right. But we had something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't believe you remember him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he was the one that even slapped people with a ruler. He might have. That, wasn't that, that golf? Might have been that Look at that. We're going way back. <laughs> and then there was Rose who threw, threw the ball at people. Oh, yeah. I remember that. that. <laughs> <laughs> so would you recommend how early of that education? That's a great question. See, that's where I don't know because I don't work with kids. You know, I think that, well, for, number one, I think parents should always be going through their kids' phones. Always. I don't think it's off limits at all. They, that phone you're paying for and they should have a right to go through it. And kids are going to hide stuff, but it's still important. And to say, maybe to anticipate to kids, you're going to see things on the internet and I want you to feel comfortable to tell me. And then maybe say some basic things like you're not going to view intimacy. A lot of the actors have had a sexual health conversation prior to whatever you see them doing and a sexual health conversation after. And they even starting to show this in porn. I don't know mm. if you know this. No. The actors are talking before and then the acts are happening. And then afterwards, how was that for you both? Wow. This is like ethical porn. And maybe right. even teaching kids, there's ethical porn, there's not ethical, unethical porn what that might look like. It's okay to masturbate. That's the other thing. People aren't talking about masturbation. No. They're just all talking about porn. Well, people are masturbating when they're watching porn. So then people think, well, you can get porn-induced erectile disorder. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I do. Totally fiction, totally false. Listen to that. People say it again, expert. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Porn-induced erectile dysfunction is false. It's a lie. When you masturbate and you you uh, and, or you're using a vibrator, you're getting used to your hand. You're getting used to the tool. You, porn and the vibrator never say no. They never have a headache. They never make you feel guilty. They have the same sex drive you have. They stop when you want. They start when you want. So then, when you go to turn to a partner, all of that doesn't. Yeah, everybody would probably listen and say, like, well, so why did I choose a partner? It's <laughs> <laughs> right? a good question, right? right? Yeah. And but when you do turn to a partner, now you got all that stuff that you don't have in porn and using a vibrator. That's what's making people have difficulty with erectile disorder. It is not the porn. It is the autoerotic. You're getting used to yourself, not another person. So then that means a lot of communication to the other person of what pleasures you, all kinds of things in that area. And them too, so that you're, right. you're connected, like you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So back in the 80s is when you became a therapist, right? Mid-80s? Yeah, 86. Yep. 
So these conversations weren't really popular back then. Oh, no. The only way I would talk about sex was through addiction, um, abuse, and trauma. And I I specialize in all that. And now I call it out-of-control sexual behaviors. But even today, most therapists therapists are not trained in sexual health. Mm -hmm. So is that part of what you're doing is helping train therapists in that? total interest now is really getting them to because i remember in the 90s you would get fired as even today as a therapist if you don't know the lgbt issues Mm -hmm. today you're going to get fired if you don't know the sexual issues you got to have some basic knowledge Mm -hmm. and there's another cog in that aspect of therapists bring their own stuff their own sexual histories and their own blockages just like as a therapist if i'm not have a good relationship with my anger the hell if i'm going to take somebody to the depths of their anger Mm. So I would imagine if I'm not clear in aspects of openness of my own sexuality, I'm not going to want to be witness of where people are going to go. No. I used to have this comic strip, and it said, um, it was a patient and a therapist. And the patient said, I want you to know, Dr. So-and-so, there are some things I don't tell you. And the therapist said, and I want you to know, Mrs. So-and-so, how much I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so most therapists are like that, right? Yeah. But it's true. It's in, it's also unexamined infidelities, unexamined abuse histories, unexamined erotic selves. And your client's coming in talking about this, and you're right, it'll trigger you. Mm-hmm. Have you done any work internationally where it's different than the old United States American culture that's different, let's say, in, in European culture where maybe some of the sexual openness is very different than we have in the States? Uh, the only thing I've ever done is I did a workshop in London, and I thought, okay, this is going to be great. These, and there was a gay guys, and this is going to be like, a, they're so open sexually here. And all I wanted them to do was talk about sex, and I had them engage in verbal exercises with one another, and they wouldn't do it, and they wouldn't do it. And I finally said to stop, I'm like, okay, are you resistant, or are you just not going to do this? And they said, we don't talk about sex here. Not like you do in your country. We're more open about sex, but we don't. You're you're asking us to do something, and I was shocked. Wow, that's the only thing I've ever run into. Mm-hmm. And then what Esther Perel talks about across the country that affairs are more tolerated in other cultures as long as the affair uh, partner comes home to the family. Right. That's all I know. Yeah. Have you learned anything else? I think that's true. It really sounds like that because it's kind of like a given. You know, you go to um, Scandinavia and other countries like that. You, of course, you go to a park and. People are dressed down to their underwear and so mm. forth. And so they never really, they don't talk about, I'm going to now take off my my top <laughs> and my bra. It's just done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so I remember my, when my wife first came over here to meet my mom. And my mom lives in West Bloomfield. And my wife, summertime, went out in the backyard, took everything off except her underwear. <laughs> my mom's out there just looking in the window. My mom, Jewish mom, right, looking out there at the Jewish... And she was just appalled. I'm like, Mom, just just let it go. Don't worry. She's only going to be out there for 15 minutes. It's all right. Yeah. And it's just, I think that aspect of so many things are just a, a given. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, thinking of culture, like, so they've done a study, uh, a big study, and they found in the study that 20% of straight men watch gay porn and get off on it. 55% of the gay men in that study watch straight porn. And so we're a culture that thinks, well, if you're watching gay porn, you must be gay. We, so I always say this. When a straight guy has one non-straight thought, he's stigmatized. When a woman has one non-straight thought, she's fetishized. That's right. Right? Yes. It's so unfair. But we don't say the gay guys, 55% of gay men are watching straight porn. We don't say, well, you must be bi or latent heterosexual. We just get that gay men who like to watch straight porn. Why are we so hooked on labels? 
I don't know. I don't. I think it's going to change. I think this younger generation is saying, right. "Fuck you! I'm not fitting into your stupid label." And they're coming up with boutique identities, right? I love it, and they're changing their boutique identities every day. Mm-hmm. I know. Even myself, you know, I've gotten older. I'm 56, and about 10 years ago, I started noticing that I was noticing women in ways I'd never like. I love Diana Ross and Cher, you know, that kind of beautiful, hyper feminine woman. But this was different. I was watching, looking at her uh, low cleavage longer than I would normally ever look and not even knowing I was looking until I noticed I was looking and then her legs and the heels. And then I started feeling like aroused a little bit. It wasn't all women or certain women. I can think I know exactly who they are in my head and it freaked me the fuck out. Did you share that with your husband? Uh, yes, but he, but now you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I did. He okay. didn't think anything of it. Uh-huh. I freaked out. I was uh-huh. like, am I late and heterosexual in uh-huh. our day? That's what yep. people thought. And then, it's just sexual fluidity. So now I, I you know, the, does the label even mean? I'm gay. I love men. But there are some women that come around and I'm like, I could do this with her. Mm-hmm. You know? People don't talk about sexual fluidity is what that is. We don't talk about some of the truth at all. No. I, well, I think that movie, I'm trying to think of this movie, The Invention of Lying. I don't know if you ever saw this movie. It was with Ricky Gervais. It was, it was a comedy, but basically it was all about, in this society, people never lied Mm. until somebody lied you know and in the beginning it had the actress uh jennifer gardner she opened up the door to ricky gervaceous who wasn't you know great looking guy it was on a blind date she opened up the door and she just looked at him she said oh by the way i'm not gonna have sex with you tonight and i was masturbating upstairs so i want to just go finish that off before (laughs) we go out and she went and and he you know it's nobody lied yeah and how refreshing that would be, yes. especially around this topic. Yes, of uh, that it wasn't attached to. It was just people are expressing their truth. Yeah, and I'm not going to say gay men never lie, but we tell the truth too. We that that could be a gay first date that we say that that we're that open to each other about it. And again, why is that? Why do you think? Oh, I was so honest. We're just. It's not personal. Maybe that's part of it. We're not taking it personally. Not that gay men can never take something personally, but we take it less personally than lesbians and straight women. I think as females are taught to take everything so personally. And it's sad because they're distraught from it. Mm -hmm. And because gay men have had to hold in their truth for so long, now that they have another gay man that they're able to just express what they want and makes it more uh-huh. even available for that. Yeah, I'm working with this mixed orientation couple. So she's straight and he's gay. And she has decided they're gonna, they're not having sex, but she has rules. I don't want you with anyone under 30, and I don't want you to be have any group sex. So I looked at her. I said, okay. I said, I really want to talk about this because I don't think these, these are arbitrary, but they're for me. She was very adamant. I'm like, okay. So then can he go to a bathhouse and have one-on-one sex with 25 different men all night? Can he be with furries? Can he um, get into a BDSM situation where it's only one-on-one, but he's bound and gagged and everybody's... And she started crying and laughing at the same time. And I said, do you see what you're doing? You're, you don't understand the culture. There's a million ways that we have, and that straight people don't give themselves. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So we're just more out and open, and BDSM is not, you know, bondage, discipline, sadomasochism for your listeners. It's not, a th- it's not a thing. We have, like, conferences around it. Right. You know? Yeah. To make it less scary right. for people. I it's think play. So, right. That, that's why I've heard, too. I love that, that definition that sex is how adults play yes. with each other. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Did you make that up? That's good. I'm going to make Yeah, I <laughs> think I did. <laughs> I'll credit you. That's really good. Yeah. 
And when I introduce that to people, and they start to really get that concept of being open to play. When you play, you usually don't judge the other person when they introduce something. You go, no, I just don't want to do this. Let's, let's try this. And it's so much more fluid when you think about it being play. Yeah. Yeah. And also to allow people to open up to what is play in their life. Yeah. I love uh, that. Mm -hmm. You should definitely make a meme. Mm -hmm. Sex is how adults play. <laughs> yeah. 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 One thought that I had to ask around porn was I have a lot of couples where they are fearful, especially the woman, it's going to be taken up a notch. There's going to be, it's going to be now not just free porn, it's going to be paid for. And then there's going to be the live cam and there's going to be then the, the phone sex and it's going to reach, 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 you know, to more the feeling of now he's going to go meet a live person. Yeah, this is uh, now more myth and naivete around male sexuality as if we can't control ourselves and one thing leads to another and our dick just takes us wherever it goes, right? Sexuality and eroticism evolve for men and for women. So what turns you on today might expand into something different over time as you get older. If you allow it and you put your energy toward your erotic self, it's going to change. It's not going to... You're not going to eliminate what you like, but you're going to add to your sexual repertoire. And people don't understand that. And what I, I do say to couples, even if they tell me they're monogamous, I say to them, have you negotiated your monogamy? And they look at me like, well, that's ridiculous. Of course not. We don't have to. And the other guy said, well, I don't know. And, right? and so then I say to them, can you have sex with yourself? Can you get on cam? Can you send dick pics? Can you sext another person? Can you you know, flirt and be romantic on... So these are sexual health conversations that couples need to have regardless of where the, the man's sexuality is going or hers is going. Are they talking about it and renegotiating their contract? Yeah, renegotiating, I think, is really important. Yeah. I did a podcast, a monologue on emotional infidelity. Mm. And that's an interesting topic to really go because what is it, um, right. emotional infidelity? And people have a really interesting past of what is flirtation. If it's not sexual infidelity, then it's not infidelity. So there's an interesting topic that I have couples talk about, about emotional infidelity. What is that to you? Yes. Is it, you want, you know, the check that, that you say everything that you would to a person that you're attracted to, the check is that you would say that with your spouse present? Does that feel like that's a, a boundary of integrity? What is emotional infidelity? I love that. Yeah. And every couple would be different on that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Any other wonderful words of wisdom that you're throwing out there? Well, there is a porn site that a lot of people, uh, when they're talking about porn, go to, and it's called Your Brain on Porn. Most scientists that are doing sexual uh, research on porn and masturbation don't value his um, contributions. They don't think his studies confirm anything that your brain has different pathways now, that brain has hijacked your brain. So the same scientists have started a new website called real your brain on porn.com so it's a rhetoric it's sort of like okay if you're going to have your brain on porn we're going to talk about real science about your brain on porn and they're finding that your brain does light up when you're watching porn in a certain way in the same exact way it lights up when you're listening and singing to a beautiful christian hymn in the exact same way watching puppies play on youtube your brain lights up so this machinery we have doesn't tell us anything other than when you experience pleasure your brain lights up
It doesn't change. It doesn't make it a new pathway. We don't have enough science to know what it's doing. It's not dropping a lot of dopamine that you become addicted to that aspect. Of well, it. it's dropping a lot of dopamine, but you can't get addicted to dopamine because it's an internal drug and it's in our bodies. You can't become addicted to something. You can become habituated to it, yeah. right? So uh, David Lay is a great writer on this and he wrote a Psychology Today article about you can't be addicted to dopamine and that's the myth out there too. Wow. Great. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. This was fantastic. I never thought, I wouldn't think if I go back 40 years that in 40 years you and I are going to be having this conversation I know I office. love it isn't yeah, it that's cool fantastic like we became two people like two adults that have expertise exactly yeah. so I'm so glad that you said yes to this same here Yeah. thank Great. you for inviting me thanks man Relationships Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville North Carolina for more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us. Mm-hmm.